Hello, it's Paul Scott here, small caps commentator, professional investor, and um, writer of the Stockopedia Small Cap Value Reports with Graham Neary and occasionally Roland Head. Uh, uh, I was, but I had a week off last week, as you know, regulars will know. This week I was back on uh, for shortened four-day Easter Monday week, so it was a little bit difficult to get back into report writing, given that I'm staying in this lovely penthouse in Gozo for the whole of April. But it's so cheap to book Airbnbs outside of the school holidays. Uh, if you book them for four weeks or more, you get amazingly large discounts. And if, like me, you work entirely online, you can just take your laptop. Laptop, uh, laptop and bugger off somewhere nice. So anyway, it's been rather overcast here in Goza this week. Temperature sort of between 14 and 17 degrees. So no great shakes. I haven't really gone anywhere or done anything this week. I've just, just been doing my shares work here, but with a nicer view. Managed to get a little bit of sunbathing in as well. So I'll do the usual. I'll do two podcasts this weekend. So this one's the shares, individual shares one. Then a second separate podcast for market and macro news and views. Right, so starting with Tuesday 11th of April, myself and Graham looked at six companies. Uh, Graham looked Cooth. This is K-O-O is the ticker. Um, quite an, I think it's quite an interesting company, actually, but Graham isn't convinced by it yet, so he's marked that red. Um, which is fair enough, because it's loss-making, it's jam tomorrow, and so on. And 76 million market cap is quite a lot for the stage it's got to. But I think looking on the positives, um, Cooth has... Uh, it's got some pretty impressive contracts, actually, with the NHS in Britain. It's a mental health app, which, of course, is very much um, front and foremost at the moment, with lots of people suffering because of the... Uh, suffering because of the pandemic and its aftermath. And of course, you know, just generally, I think life these days, the pressure we put on younger people in particular through social media, you know, back in my day, you could do, say and do lots of daft things. And, um, you know, within a week, everyone had forgotten about it. Whereas this generation, you know, all the daft things they do are recorded on YouTube and go viral and, you know, can never be forgotten, really. So I, th I just think social media and the internet generally puts tremendous pressure on young people and something like 50% of teenage girls apparently have mental health problems, which, you know, uh, maybe it's always been like that, I don't know. Um, but it seems to me that these issues are much more visible now anyway and seem to be worse. Uh, and Cooth is a timely uh, service that, that seems to chime with that. Um, anyway, but, but as I say, Graham wasn't particularly impressed, but I think it's interesting. We also had a slightly combative reply from somebody calling themselves Aiming Higher in the reader comments, who uh, gave us some extra colour on the business model, told us we didn't understand it, which bulls on stocks always do if we're sceptical about it. But actually, he, he made some... I assume it's a he... Uh, aiming Higher actually made some very good points. So thank you for that contribution to the reader comments. I think that was interesting. Now, what else? Did, now, I looked at Hollywood Bowl, B-O-W-L. Uh, this is the UK's leading 10-pin bowling um, centre operator. I think it's got 69 sites in the UK and nine in Canada. I think it's recently bought a Canadian subsidiary, which and both countries, it's expanding. Each individual site, of course, is quite large. And they've um, they've really it's not just ten pin bowling these days. They've really modernised the concept 
and included all sorts of other things within it, like I think they've got karaoke rooms, of all sorts of stuff, and a basic food and drink offering as well. And the whole concept of bowling is it's, it's meant to be a value for money, family, day or evening out, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, the whole sector bowl, bowling is enjoying very, very buoyant demand at the moment. So there's only really one question with this and with Ten Entertainment, TEG, which is another smaller competitor that's also listed. The only reason you would buy the shares is if you think, um, well, because they're obviously good value. That's the thing. These are highly cash-generative businesses, um, very, very nice business models, very profitable, trading their socks off. So the only question is whether you think that can continue or not. This is very high gross margin, because remember, it's not just the margin on the food and drink. The gross margin of gains is basically 100%. So tremendous operational gearing here. So um, when they're busy, you know, the profits absolute and cash flow absolutely boom but of course in periods where they go quiet which we have seen before when uh, if you're going back 10 20 years uh, these these were nowhere near as profitable as they are now and even got into into trouble i think in the 2008 financial crisis so um and Ten entertainment group was actually taken it was it used to be called essendon and it was taken private by Christopher Mills's Harwood Group, who really bought it on the cheap. They took it away for a song. I remember that because I was annoyed because I was a shareholder at the time. He only paid about a 20 or 30% premium on a totally bombed out share price. And then, of course, you know, invested a bit in modernising it and then refloated it later at multiples of what they paid for it. So, but you always have to be a bit careful when Harwood get involved because, yes, they shake things up, but often they grab the upside for themselves, which they can do. There's nothing, you know, untoward about that. Um, but it just means the small investors lose out when they do grab something on the cheap. But anyway, there we go. So Hollywood Bowl, I really, really like it. So I've marked it green, uh, 434 million market cap. It's £2.52 a share. It's self-funding its own expansion and into Canada. Uh, I think it's paying a pretty good dividend as well. It's net cash. Oh, one complaint about this. This was an H1 update that it issued on Tuesday. It didn't directly say whether it's trading in line or not. Now, that really annoys me because it wasted about half an hour of my time picking through the comments word by word, trying to work out the nuances of, you know, are they saying they're in line or are they nervous? They won't say it directly because they might be worried. I mean, stop wasting our time, guys. Just say we're trading in line with expectations as things stand now. End of. That's what every trading update should should say. Or we're trading a little bit behind expectations, but we think we can make it up. You know, or uh, we're actually slightly ahead, but we're being cautious for the full year because of the economic outlook. Whatever it is, just be straight with people. Don't get the PRs to fudge it all. Uh, it just raises more questions than it answers. I should say, though, somebody queried this with the FD of Hollywood Bowl on Twitter, and he uh, replied straight away with a very uh, straightforward reply. So I thought that was good. Good communications on Twitter, not so good communications in the RNS. But anyway, look, it's not a deal breaker. The bottom line is Hollywood Bowl is trading well. It's reason reasonably priced. So I've got to mark it as green couple of other things we looked at on Tuesday. Graham looked at Hilton Food. Now, I don't like this, and Graham didn't. Graham's amber on it. I probably probably would have gone red. It's a big food ingredients uh, group. It's got far too much debt. Uh, it's only barely above break-even, really low profit margins. Um, 
I don't know. <coughs> I can't see why you would invest in Hilton Food, HFG, when there are so many other better quality companies out there available. Now, we looked at a couple that are basically bust. The Cine World, again, it reiterated, C-I-N-E, that the shares are worth nothing. But still, the shares continue trading. They're down to about a penny a share now. Why? Why? I just don't understand why the shares haven't been suspended, given that the company has now repeatedly told us it's worth nothing. There must be some other angle on it that I'm not aware of. Again, let me know if you know why. Do people think there's a cash shell that might be worth something with tax losses? I don't know. It's possible. But uh, there we go. The other one, MJ Hudson. Dear, oh dear, this has been a disaster, hasn't it? Uh, The shares suddenly collapsed last year. They've been suspended and um, management have said that they've disposed agree, uh, disposals agreed for the operating subsidiaries. But, quote, it is highly unlikely that there will be a substantial, comma, or any, comma, amount available to shareholders following payment of all creditors and costs. So it looks like a total wipeout for existing equity. And I think people are really angry about this. I know I've got some friends who are shareholders who are, are, are deeply unhappy at the way... This company, which I think is supposed to be sort of financial advisors or experts or something, how the whole thing could just collapse. So lots of questions there, I think, for management. And as always with these things, people who preside over these sorts of uh, uh, disasters, you know, you make a note of their names, don't you? And you don't touch anything they ever float uh, in future for the rest of their lives. Um, You know... There we go. That's just, I'm not suggesting that. That's just what people I know do. In fact, I heard an interesting discussion recently about how do you spot um, companies to short. And somebody said, basically, they just look for the, look up the director's CVs. And if they've been involved in questionable or failed things before, then they just put it down as a list of percent, uh, their latest venture as a, as a probable short. And I heard somebody in the oil industry say that to me years ago as well, that I said, how do you pick the winners out of all these junior exploration companies? He said, just look at the people, look at the management. If they've done it before successfully, they'll probably be successful again. That's all That's all there is to it. I thought, God, isn't that interesting? But anyway, that's not a sector I get involved in, but I know people who, who do. Finally, Spectral MD, SMD. This is very interesting. It's a really unusual share. I don't think I've seen anything quite like it, actually. All its revenue comes from substantial grants from American public health bodies. I think it's about 20, 25 million a year revenues. All of it is grant income. Now, uh, it's got some product that, um, I don't know, uses high tech of some kind to assess wounds for diabetic foot foot ulcers or something along those lines and it kind of looks below the surface and gives doctors an insight into what the wound is actually like and what the best course of treatment for it is sounds very interesting spectral md uh, so smd so i think it's quite intriguing this thing it's blue, it's obviously blue sky jam tomorrow 67 million market cap but what it announced was the shares shot up for uh, 75% it announced it's going to list on nasdaq by combining with an acquisition vehicle, which sounds like a SPAC, called um, Special Purpose Acquisition Company, I think that must be, called Rosecliff Acquisition Corp. 1. 
Uh, now, it says that this is going to lead to a higher valuation of the shares of Spectral MD to a valuation of £1.1 per share. Well, that, of course, caused some excitement because they were only they were about a third of that. So they spiked up to 47.5p. I think they've since come down a bit towards the end of the week. But there might be a potential arbitrage there. I expect one, one or two people are looking at that. Uh you know, these sort of small jam tomorrow things, AIM isn't the right place for them. I think the ones that have the most promising technology should list it on NASDAQ if they can. And there are some sort of surprisingly very, very small companies on NASDAQ, you know. Um, anyway, yeah, this is, I've said here, it's a binary outcome development project, Spectral MD. So anyone, I think I think it's an interesting punt, but I've I've marked it down as something. You know, these type of things only risk money that you can afford to lose because the the outcome's binary with these jam tomorrow development projects. You've either got a multi bagger or you've got a zero or a gradual grind down to zero as more and more placings are done. You know, most of them don't work these types of projects, so I don't tend to get involved in them. Right, let's speed up the pace and get on to Wednesday next. Right, I got up early on Wednesday. It's very strange, actually. Since I've been in Malta, I'm getting up at about 5 o'clock UK time, which is 6 o'clock Malta time. I don't know why. I just seem to wake up when um, when uh, dawn breaks, which is rather good because it gives me two hours to do some work before the 7am RNS starts in the UK. So I took advantage of that on Wednesday morning, and I looked at Sieta. Ticker is SED. This is the thing that a lot of people are getting excited about, um, which does um, e-drive systems for electric vehicles. It claims to have some sort of technology that makes its its motors and control systems, basically, which it thinks are better, and they're patented. Uh, quite interesting. Nothing historically. Negligible turnover. No, not even a gross margin on the probably the trial motors it's made, and the big news is this: um, it's won a contract with an American maker of electric delivery vans, short-range, relatively low-speed electric delivery vans. You can look it up online and look at their website. And the alarm bell started to ring to me when on this customer's website, you've basically got a picture of a of a of a what looks like a lock-up garage, a large sort of shed type thing, with a bunch of guys in blue overalls standing around their prototype vehicle and you think that doesn't look particularly uh, um, <clears throat> impressive anyway I googled it and it's a NASDAQ listed client which and the client only has a market cap of about 15 million quid, it's tiny it's even smaller than Sieta and it's massively cash burning so I really raise a question mark over the quality of this customer and whether you know is Sieta going to get even paid for the Five million pounds of the V drives that it's supposedly going to be, be making for this customer over the next year. I'd um, so I'm a bit sceptical about Sayata. I'm, I'm very sceptical about Sayata. Actually, I think the valuation's nuts at the moment, and you know it's totally unproven the business model. It's all very well saying we've won a, won a five million contract, but what margin are you going to make on that contract? They're manufacturing small batches in Sunderland uh, for about sixteen or seventeen hundred pounds per unit. I can't imagine there'd be much profit margin on that. But anyway, look, I had a good look at Sayeta. It's got an Indian supply chain that it's starting up as well, burning through cash at a phenomenal pace. 
Um, it reckons it's got enough cash to last to break even. I don't. I think it's almost certainly going to come back for more money, probably at a much lower valuation. So I think be really careful with Sieta. It could have something amazing. I don't know. So check out the technology, but get your information from third parties, not from the company itself. You know, you've got to think more like, I think, when investigating Jam Tomorrow companies, you've got to think more like a private investigator. So you don't go to the company for all your information and views on it. You are you, you find alternative sources. Uh, is this stuff really as good as it's meant to be? And you often discover from quizzing people in the sector that, nah, you know, it's a load of rubbish. I'm not saying Sayeta is a load of rubbish, but in the past, well, I found that Stock market stories that are popular with punters often um, turn out to be absolute tripe, as I recently discovered to my cost with Wan Disco, where you know a lot of very serious uh, and very wealthy investors got fleeced, and I followed them into it because I thought, well, they must have done their due diligence. Turns out they obviously hadn't. So it just shows, doesn't it? Investors of all sizes can be conned by con men. What else did I look at? A couple of other catch-up items. I looked at Mark's Electrical, MRK, which uh, was reporting on Wednesday. Oh, no, no, sorry, I got out of kilter. I did that on Thursday. Let's go back to Wednesday. Sorry, I'm losing it here. Oh, it's a Sandar, S-O-S. Now, regulars will know I followed this right from when it floated. I've always believed that the business model and the management would succeed. And I was six years too early because it's take, it was only a startup six years ago. But I think it's, we can tick that box and say, yes, it's working. The business model has worked. It's moved into profit. So it put out a trading update for year ending March 2023. This is, sorry, it's an e-commerce online fashion business. Um, specialist lazy wear, la- ladies wear with a flattering fit, if you like, and with sleeves and Basically, they're, 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 they've seen a big gap in the market, and that's what they're addressing for women. I wouldn't say middle-aged, but women from anything from 25 to 55, or even the, the age range has surprised them. It's actually appealing to pretty much all women, but particularly them that underserved middle area who want latest fashions but a flattering fit, not figure-hugging and sleeveless. Um, which is what a lot of the existing fashion companies uh, try to push on an audience that doesn't want that. Anyway, uh, it was actually a profit miss. Um, Sasandar reported 1.6 million profit. This is a breakthrough year, though, the, so the first year of profitability. Um, 1.6 million. The, the forecast was 1.9 million. Now, they say the bulk of the miss... It's because of discretionary spend, they decided to accelerate accelerate some key hires of middle and upper management that the people they've taken on that they were planning to do later in the new financial year. I think okay, I'll I'll accept that. That's and and frankly, a one point six versus one point nine profit figure is n- is no great shakes at this stage of the company's development. In, in my view, not everyone agrees with that. I know some existing shareholders of the company were a little bit uh, concerned about some of the KPIs in that growth did slow in H2 compared with H1. But that's because, you know, they're, they're lapping absolutely phenomenal prior comparatives where, you know, you can't keep 60, 70, 80% growth going indefinitely, can you? You would expect it to drop to 30, 40% the next year and maybe 20, 25% the following year. So I'm quite relaxed about that. Now, the thing that I think is most exciting about Sasandar in this announcement, they are really pushing ahead with international expansion now. 
In the past, that's always been an aspiration, but they're pushing the button on it now. And they're actually launching international sales through a partner called Global E, I think it was, uh, which you can Google there. I think an Israeli-based uh, tech and the logistics platform. Everyone likes to be called a platform these days, don't they? Um, looks quite interesting. Uh, if anybody knows more about Globally, do post a comment, because I'd be interested to, to hear more about them. Anyway, uh, I don't think they'll need another fundraise, but I said that, I've been saying that for years, and they've done about three more fundraisers since then, so ignore me <laughs> on that. But it does have net cash of about 10 million, which should be plenty. Uh, very ambitious and capable management here, I think. You couldn't, you couldn't ask for more committed and dynamic entrepreneurs, Ali and Julie. They're absolutely fantastic, I think. And they want to take this thing right out there and make it the size of ASOS or Boohoo, uh, but, you know, actually make money whilst doing it. Um, I've said here I think risk-reward is better than it's ever been uh, now, now that the company's profitable. Market cap's about 59, 60 million, something like that, which is quite a lot, but it's now profitable. So, yes, on a PE basis, in the first year of profit, always look really expensive. Uh, but is not the right way to value it, this type of growth share. I've been saying for ages that I want to get back in and own some of these personally. Uh, because, you know, if the, I remember when the... And, and I finally have done. I just bit the bullet later on. Oh, well, it was yesterday, actually, on Friday. I finally bit the bullet on it and thought, yeah, I've got to buy some. So I, I top-sliced two or three other existing holdings because I'm fully invested. I don't have any cash. And I bought uh, an opening size position in Sosandar, SOS. So I'm delighted to be back on board as a small shareholder. And um, I'm just going to hold those for the next five-plus years. We'll see what happens. I think if it works well with international expansion, you could put a zero on the end of the share price because <coughs> that's precisely what happened with ASOS. I remember in the early days of ASOS, I followed ASOS right from the start uh, when Mark Watson Mitchell, funnily enough, flagged it as a buy at five pence per share. It went on to, to be 80 quid, <laughs> 85 quid at the peak. Incredible. I actually bought some. I think I've told everyone I did buy some around 5p a share. Half a million shares, I think it was. And uh, uh, 25 grand's worth. And I sold them when they got overpriced. Yeah, because they, they reached 9p. And I thought, it's on a PE of 27. It's too expensive. So I sold my ASOS shares, half a million of them, at 9 pence in ASOS. Um, if I, I've, I've told you this story loads of times before. If I'd just gone to sleep, you know, I would have made 30, 40 million pound profit without doing a thing over the next few years. But never mind. Never mind. Everyone's got... A story of the, like like anglers, everyone's got uh, a story of the whopper that got away, haven't they? And I just think it's funny, you know, you, you can't, uh, you can't uh, second guess these things. So, so Sandal, could it be the next ASOS? Uh, it's possible, it's possible. Um, they, uh, yeah, ASOS shares really took off, this is what I was trying to say, when they launched International Expansion. That was the thing that sent the share price absolutely bananas when people suddenly... It took the city a while, but the city suddenly started to realise, hang on, this thing's not just a UK uh, niche e-commerce business. ASOS could be massive and could be international. And the shares went to absolutely the moon. Obviously, they got ridiculously overvalued, but um, there we go. I, we probably won't see valuations like that again for e-commerce businesses, but never say never. I think, you know, so I think with Sassandar, 50 million market cap now, 
as I say, I'm looking at it with a five-year view, with the bull case being it could be a £500 million business in five, maybe five, ten years, I don't know. So I think they've proven the business model and management are just going for it. And I think they've got the skills and experience to to do it, I hope. But obviously things might go wrong along the way, but there we go. Right, rambling alert, let's carry on, let's up the pace. System 1, Graham looked like that, ahead of expectations, that's had a nice bounce, that share. Graham and I are both mm, not sure, can't quite decide on System 1. Um, Sayeta, I've covered. Everyman Media, Graham and I think this is dreadful. They're rolling out these niche cinemas with comfortable cities and table service and so on, but it doesn't make any money. Uh, trumpets EBITDA, but, you know, by the time you take off the big depreciation charge and financing costs, there's no profits there. Why on earth would you expand and roll out uh, a format that doesn't make any money? It's nuts. So we think Everyman Media is uh, uh, a dead loss. So we're both red on that. Now, Delarue, oh God, D-L-A-R, it just gets worse, doesn't it? This is the banknotes uh, producer, a big company, and does uh, security uh, authentication products as well. Uh, another profit warning. Yeah, it dropped 23% to 38p. It was trying to bounce. I think it ended the week about 40p, Delarue did. I've, I've gone through it all. It's just too risky. It's um, the latest update, uh, obviously a further reduction to profit forecast. It's talking to the bank about amending the covenants, which is never good. And it's requested from the pension trustees um, a deferral of 19 million of deficit contributions. I think, <clears throat> I think going through all the detail, another equity fundraising is now looking likely for Delarue, and I think that could be on horrible terms. So, very high risk this one. Could be a multi-bagger if they get through without into a recovery without an equity raise, but why take the risk? I'm, I'm steering well clear of Delarue. Sorry, I had intended covering more reader comments, because there have been, again, this week we've had loads of really, really good reader comments from um, Aiming Higher, David J. Hill puts up great stuff nearly every day. Thanks, David, for your fantastic contributions. As does B&B, who's one of our best regulars. And R.D. Howarth, of course, is a, a Stockopedia stalwart. Thanks to all of you. We also had a very interesting co comparisons between Hollywood Bowl and Ten Entertainment Group amongst those guys. And um, MH1 contributed to a very good debate as well. But thanks to everyone else who contributed. It's brilliant. Oh, the other thing I did wonder about with the bowling companies, Hollywood Bowl and Ten Entertainment, could they be private equity bid targets? I think they could, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if both of the one or both of those gets taken private. So the more I think about it, the more I think those are, are good investments. And readers flagged up how Ten Entertainment Group is much lower rated than Hollywood Bowl. So of the two, that might be the better value alternative. Oh, there was a very good reader comment from 3Pete, who pointed out, a very good point that since IF, IFRS 16 came in, the gearing numbers on websites, um, including Stockopedia and Sharepad, the gearing numbers include the lease liabilities, which, of course, are not borrowings. It's completely nonsensical. They shouldn't be on the balance sheet. Um, so when you look at gearing numbers, you do have to manually, manu manually adjust for leases, I'm afraid. But uh, three Pete made that point, which is a very good point. I always um, strip those out in my articles and the small cap value reports. So basically, if you're not sure, have a look at the small cap value report archive, and I will have I will have covered it and explained what's leases and what isn't anyway. So 
you've got you've got the information there. It's just you have to look it up in the articles. What did we have on Thursday? Oh, Tet, that's treat. This is the ingredients thing for citrus and for teas, speciality teas and coffees. Very interesting business. I look back at the uh, results. I'm like a broken record on this. I keep, every time I look at it, I say, look, nice company, um, but but shares are too expensive. And people come back and say, ah, but all the it's a cartel and all the European competitors are very, very bigger. Competitors are very expensive too. I'm oh, that argument. Okay, fair point, but it doesn't convince me. I'm not going to overpay for something just because other people are overpaying for something similar. But you know, they, it could be a bid target. Treat could. The interesting thing with Treat is it doubled its capacity with this new factory that's sort of starting to gradually come online. And it says here H1 trading is strong, in line with expectations. And I think the outlook statement is hinting at possible upgrades with Treat. So I can see why people like it, but you really need this to out outperform just to justify the current valuation and with other things so much cheaper that doesn't attract me right now but it's an interesting company Watkin Jones which I hold uh, put out an H1 trading update which the market didn't like it's got project overrun costs in one project in Exeter and the H1 results are not going to be much more than break even that's what the broker notes are saying so um, that could languish for the time being, but is fundamentally underpriced, I think, with a heavy H2 weighting expected and having been previously flagged as well. Uh, it's a nice business model, Watkin Jones, so I'm going to stick with that one. Graham looked at science in sport, SIS. Um, I personally wouldn't have spent any time on it myself, but I don't think it's much good. But Graham was looking at it, is it a possible turnaround? Uh, I think he's not sure as yet. It might be, so Amber on that one. Graham also looked at Pisa Cousins. Was Amber on that one? That's at the other end of the scale, 838 million market cap. We generally go up to nearly a billion on market cap now in the small caps, if it looks interesting. Remember, we can't cover everything. (coughs) Graham also looked at Lend Invest. Oh, INCE has gone bust, I-N-C-E. I'm not surprised. This is a legal and accountancy group. I've been warning people strenuously away from this for years now in the small cap value reports. So I think one of our readers got caught on it, but I hope no one else did. Um, so there we go. It was, it, was, it was obviously an absolutely terrible company. And it's amazing, isn't it? These accountants and lawyers who can't run their own businesses, but they're dishing out advice and inspecting other people's work. Incredible. Right, Friday's report's got to be super quick because the file size won't upload if I'm too slow. Crimson Tide, T-I-D-E, uh, got potential, but I looked at the um, I looked at the InvestorMeet company webinar. Management didn't inspire me, I'm afraid. It all seemed a bit, a bit flat. But there is some interesting growth there and recurring revenues, so keep an eye on that. IOMART, I-O-M, I liked. I've not looked at that before. Looks looks a nice value share, actually. Step Cement, STCM, warned on deliveries in Q1, so that dropped. Two takeover bids, uh, NetW and DPH, um, they're mid-caps. Now, super dry profit warning. I don't rate that. I think it's uh, wobbly. So that dropped about 20% on Friday. So have a look at Friday's report for more detail. AO.com, good update, but it doesn't actually make any profit. Only 4 million profit, but they trumpet 45 million EBITDA. So it's a bit smoke and mirrors, the reporting there. But the trading is getting better 
and the finances have been sorted out. It's now slightly net cash with an extended bank facility, so lower risk than it was, but <clears throat> significantly overvalued. I would go for Marks Electrical, MRK, any day over AO World. It's much, much better, smaller business. And finally, 888Com, what a disaster. Massive debt taken on in the last half year, already in a distressed situation. Be very careful with that. Could be a good momentum pump, though. Right, I'm going to have to leave it there because the file size is too big. Bye!